Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. I am Scott Reynolds, and alongside me today is Josh Capo from PewterReport.com, and we just popped this graphic up here to let you know what today's topic is, why Todd Bowles will succeed in Tampa. I think we're all pretty much in agreement. This is a pretty good move by the Buccaneers for Bruce Arians to, if he's going to step down, if he's going to promote somebody from within, Todd Bowles pretty good pick he's got some head coaching experience he's done wonders with the bucks defense outside of one play and we'll <laughs> we'll talk about uh you know this this is a positive show today we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into i think jc allen's gonna maybe bring up some reasons why he won't but you know that's that's jc being a debbie downer um we've come to, to love and expect that from jc but but let's let's stick with a, a more positive upbeat uh theme with todd bowles you know he hasn't lost a game yet he's undefeated he's tied for first place right uh in in tampa so we'll get into why we think todd bowles will succeed everybody's gonna have some reasons we're gonna have uh myself and josh debate this for the first say quarter of the show and then we'll bring on casey hudson and then we'll finish up with josh allen so we'll get some different perspectives today throughout uh throughout the peter report podcast which is energized by celsius as always josh how we doing today doing really well scott how about yourself I'm doing good. Uh, we're starting to see some of the the visits come in now, right? We've got uh, we we've, we've talked about a, a couple of, of visits that we've already known about. Uh, one of those the other day was Auburn cornerback, and why wouldn't they bring an Auburn quarterback cornerback? <laughs> and they've drafted a couple of them. But they brought in Roger McCreary. He of of short arms, uh, <laughs> and um, it's interesting because there's another name today. That uh, that was just put out there in in the Twitter verse to discuss, and that is uh, Nebraska's um, Cam Taylor Britt, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the interesting thing about both of these cornerbacks is the fact that they kind of break the Bucks mold a little bit. I mean, Todd Bowles does like bigger cornerbacks, six foot, six foot one. Britt checks in at at uh, I should say Taylor Britt, not to be confused with KJ Britt. Taylor Britt is 5'11", 197. He blazed a 4'3 at the Combine. And he's known as a physical cornerback, so he kind of checks that that box. Auburn's Roger McCreary, 5'11", 190, wasn't as fast, 4.5 in the 40-yard dash. Uh, that's not the death knell. If you go back in time, Carlton Davis, another former Auburn cornerback, um, you know, he, he was uh, – um, you know, timed at, at I think four five two four five three. So uh, it's it's not a death nail in Tampa Bay's system if you can't run fast. The only thing is though is you have to have some length, and that's something right. that it looks like from McCreary's standpoint doesn't have the speed or the length. But we're talking speed though. Cam Taylor Britt does have some wheels. He does. He does. And and like you said, he's physical. Um, he can tackle really well, so that checks a couple different boxes that the Bucks like. I think he could be actually a really good slot corner. Um, and you can see with Sean Murphy bunting, he was a little bit on the shorter side compared to some of the other corners that yeah. the Bucks have used, and they moved him inside. Um, Taylor Britt, I think he's a little susceptible to double moves, which you'll see a lot more on the outside. But yeah. I think that he could be a good fit um, in that slot. But 
when you look at the corners as a group that they're bringing in, it certainly does break the mold from what they've looked for in the past. Yeah. And the interesting thing, too, is they're kind of making a projection because if you go and look at Pro Football Focus, they do a great job of breaking down every single play by these guys. And what's really helpful with PFF, whether you agree with the rankings or not, and, and the grades, they do a very good job of, of telling you exactly where these guys lined up and every single snap of their college careers. And if you look, the the amount of slot that both McCreary and Taylor Britt have played is just about zero. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're projections, right? They're, they're, yep. they're guys that, that, given their size, probably would have to go inside in Tampa scheme because you really don't want some big six-foot-two cornerback playing in the slot where you're probably going to be going up against, um, you know, maybe a, a smaller, quicker, twitchier type of receiver that is going to you know take you across the field on a drag pattern or you know a banjo you know type of of uh, play route. where yeah dig route where you're going to be you know taking one step that way and then the, the receivers break into the outside so you don't want a long legged cornerback inside for that reason so I understand that but it, it is a bit of a projection I think we've seen uh, probably a second round grade for McCreary and then you know Cam Taylor Britt helped himself i think with the the 40-yard dash time but probably a day three corner probably a fourth round pick maybe a third if a team really likes him but third fourth fifth is kind of in that that range there there were some other guys uh, josh that that the buccaneers we learned about uh, greg allman reporting uh, a lot of this news when it comes to the local visits now when it comes to players that are visiting the buccaneers locally they can do that if they go to an area school like like UCF down the road in Orlando, USF here in the backyard of Tampa, Florida, you know, go Bulls, yeah. Uh, Florida up the road in Gainesville, those those are considered in in the geographic footprint of of Tampa Bay. And so if you went to those schools, the Buccaneers can bring you in. You don't count against the top 30. But then also if you are a Tampa native, you can also come in. As, uh, as as a top 30 visit. We'll, we'll see if North Dakota State wide receiver Christian Watson's one of those guys because he went to play in high school. But there were a couple of, of big names today that we learned about. Uh, again, Greg Allman doing a lot of this reporting. There's some other sources out there that are reporting some of this news. But um, uh, one of your favorites, uh, Damian Pierce, running back out of Florida, as well as Cincinnati's Jerome Ford, who really had a breakout year for the Bearcats this season, Started off at Alabama, but these are two interesting running backs, are they not? Very interesting. Um, I think they both display a lot of patience and power. Um, they run with a lot of drive, and, and from what I've seen, they you know they've got great vision. I don't think any either one of them blows the doors off when you look at their long speed. Um, but I I like both of them. I think they're both really interesting picks, and I think they could really complement the the Bucks running back room well. Yeah, and, and I think both of these guys can factor in in the passing game, catching the ball out of the backfield. Both did a, a pretty good job of that. They weren't called on to be a, a receiving back the way that, say, Rashad White at Arizona State was catching 45 passes, right? But right. The, but even in the limited amount of, of reps that a player like Damian Pierce did, it wasn't just the swing pass out of the backfield. You saw some angles, some Texas routes. Um, some go routes down the sidelines, almost like a wheel route type of thing. So he's a little bit more versatile in terms of being able to catch the ball five yards and beyond the line of scrimmage, not just 
screen passes and swing passes that are at or near the line of scrimmage. So he brings some versatility there. Ford is really kind of a home run hitter. He is a guy that that has uh, some breakaway speed when he gets into the open field. More of a slasher, I think, than Pierce. Pierce will absolutely run you over. He's got a great little jump step. He can make make you you miss almost like with a, a dead leg cut, um, and and just the power. I mean, he's he's a guy that that uh, that I've warmed up to. Josh, I, I was not the biggest fan of his. Kind of reminded me a little bit because I just don't see a bunch of breakaway speed. At the same time, though, when you look at running backs in the NFL, they don't really have to to be game breakers because you're not going to have those open alleyways. There's no wide side of the field in the NFL like there is in college, Josh. And then when you're looking at at the speed at the second and the third level, um, you know, what what is a uh, an 80-yard run in college, you might, if it's the same route and the same path and the same hole, you might get 12 to 20 yards, and that's considered a big play in the NFL. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we all think back to Rojo's 99 yard run against the Panthers. Right. He was here for four years. Yeah. One run like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that the important thing and, and the Bucks have shown this, you know, in terms of how they give out playing time, it's what can you do in the passing game? How can you facilitate yep. that in terms of what you can, you know, can you catch, can you get upfield? And that was one of the things I really liked about Pierce is, even on those swings and those screens, when he got the ball, he immediately was moving upfield. Yep. So he was turning something where he was getting the ball two yards, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. That's going to be a five. That's going to be a six-yard gain. We right. all know Tom Brady really appreciates moving the chains that way and creating yep. easier opportunities for himself. And I think if you do that, you open up a second and four or second and three. Now you open up the play-action game. It, it opens up so many different options for, right. for the offense. So. That's what I really saw in Pierce. I think Ford can do a lot of that as well. Um, and Ford is a little bit faster than than Pierce. I think he ran like a four four six at the combine, so definitely showed that he can have that long speed as well. Yeah, one of my favorite backs coming out of Toledo was was Kareem Hunt, one of the Bucks to draft him. They almost did. It was between Hunt and Chris Godwin in the third round in 2017. The Bucks made the right pick, uh, and and you know take nothing away from what. Kareem Hunt's done on the field. The off the field issue is a different story, but right. it's certainly a good player. Had a fantastic rookie year, Pro Bowl season, led the league in rushing um, as you know as a uh, a rookie for um, for Kansas City. So uh, I, I think that that when you when you look at, at at the speed and it's it's just around a four six, a four five five or so for for Damian Pierce from Florida. But he does have that sense of urgency when he runs, right? It's like it's one thing, it's one thing to to be a four five five guy, but damn it, get there quickly, right? Like, exactly. like hit the gas and <laughs> and and get to your top four or five five speed pretty quickly because there are some backs that that can clock in the four fours that just they've got kind of a slow gradual buildup, right? They're they're it, they're faster from twenty to forty than they are, you know, zero to twenty, and and it's more important in the NFL because the holes are smaller and they're open and they open and close a lot quicker. Do they not? They absolutely do. And I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. It's almost the opposite of wide receivers, right? Wide mm -hmm. receivers, you've got the 40 time, but a lot of NFL evaluators, they look at the flying 20 that from 20 to 40 yards, yeah. because that's when they're underway with running backs. It's, it's the exact opposite. They're moving from a stop, getting the ball immediately. What can you do in that first 
five, 10 uh, to 20 yards. And right. I think that both those backs have shown that sense of urgency spoke, spoke about um, in, in being able to maximize that, that short yardage ability. Yeah. Well, speaking of sense of urgency, we have a sense of urgency to let you know about the absolute best tasting and best performing energy drink. That's Celsius. Nate <laughs> says, sup, fellas, rockin' sparkling watermelon Celsius today. We appreciate that. We appreciate everybody out there uh, in uh, in the Peter Report land that has been turned on to Celsius because I'm rocking the tropical vibe this week. It's, it's one of my top five flavors. Uh, Celsius powers everyday lives with with active energy that that you can use and the best part about this is there's no sugar and there's no preservatives and what that means is you get all the energy and all the taste without the sugar crash and that's important because some of the of the energy drinks i'm not going to name any names that i used to, to drink they, they would do the job for the first couple of hours right like you'd get that but then it would be counterintuitive for you to, to drink an energy drink when it's going to sap you of energy a couple hours later. That doesn't happen with Celsius. Matter of fact, this thing's so potent. If you drink it in the afternoon, you got to watch what time you go to bed because if you use this like around nighttime, it'll keep you up. It does its job, folks. But part of the, the, the appeal about Celsius is just the flavor. I don't know how the scientists do it, but it's almost like they just take all of these these fruits and just squeeze them into these cans. The orange tastes like orange. The sparkling Fuji apple pear tastes like pears and apples. Strawberry guava, that's the taste you're going to get. The wild berry, it's just like you took a raspberry and a blueberry and squeezed them and dropped them in this can. So if, you, if you're interested in trying Celsius, uh, we've, we've got, I, I think, new people that are listening to the Pewter Report podcast, following us on Pewter Report, that become Celsius drinkers. Uh, on, a, on a daily basis, and, and maybe you're next, go to the store locator on Celsius.com and put in your address. Find out where you can grab a can of Celsius near you, whether it's a convenience store, health and fitness store, grocery store, et cetera, and try a couple flavors. Once you find the ones that you like, go to Amazon, buy them in bulk, get the subscribe and save. They'll ship them right to your house. Or if you just want to go to Amazon and get the variety pack, that's how I kind of rediscovered cola. It's a fantastic flavor. That um, that if you like cola drinks, I'm not going to name any brand names, but folks, uh, if you don't like fruity flavors, if you like a, a cola tasting uh, beverage, try the cola Celsius. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, the variety packs uh, helped turn me on to Peach Vibe and Tropical Vibe, which are two of my favorites. Yes, and uh, it was so funny. My wife sent me on. My wife Jamie, she sent me on uh, Instagram. I think it was earlier today. It looked like um, Celsius was coming out with freezer pops. And I got really, really excited <laughs> yeah. until she said, no, this was from April 1st. It was an April Fool's that somebody yes. was. And then Celsius did a good job with that. Yeah. And, and so now I'm trying to figure out if I can freeze my own and make my own freezer pops. You probably can. That's that's probably a nice little hint for, from Celsius that another way you can enjoy their exactly. tasty energy drinks. So uh, speaking of, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of April Fool's, right? I mean, thank goodness that the Buccaneers made this announcement Wednesday as opposed to like Friday between uh, getting uh, Bruce Arians stepping down and, and Todd Bull stepping up into the head coaching spot. So we're going to spend some time today uh, while we have you here, Josh, just, just to, you know, talk about why you believe Todd Bowles will be successful in Tampa and what, why you think this, this was a good choice to have him succeed Bruce Arians. 
Yeah, I think it comes down to the two biggest things that I can think of in terms of why I think he can be successful. And I think it's important to word it that way. None of us are future tellers, yep. but I think there's a very good chance that he can be successful. And I think it really comes down to, to two things. Um, something that he has in Tampa Bay that he didn't have in New York is a GM who is a proven team builder. Yeah. You look at the team that Jason Light put together. That was the team that attracted Tom Brady. And right. the first time in his career where he got to choose where he was going, he chose to come to Tampa Bay because he saw the talent that Jason Light was able to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, with that and a good quarterback, Todd Bowles has proven that he can be a winning head coach. His first year in New York, the Jets went 10-6 and six with good play out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'd actually earned Fitzpatrick right. a pretty solid contract after that. So he's proven he can put together a good defense. And when he has a solid offensive coordinator and a good quarterback with a good team builder, he can be a winning head coach. If you look at Tampa Bay, that checks all the boxes. He's got a good offensive coordinator. He's got a good quarterback. And he's definitely got a great team builder. So for that, that makes me feel very confident that this year in 2022, he's going to be a very successful head coach. Now, we also know that, you know, he may not have the same quarterback next year. Tom Brady will be a free agent. Um, and Byron Leftwich will most likely garner a ton of interest as a head coach. And that's where I think those two things are going to be very, very important to Todd Bowles' long-term success. Right. I trust that Jason Light will help him with the quarterback situation. Then it comes down to who does he hire as his offensive coordinator. Um, and I think there are some really good in-house options for taking over that spot with when, if and when Byron Leftwich leaves. Yeah, and you know when you look at, at at this, this is this is the the downfall, right, or the downside of hiring a defensive minded head coach, right? Because if you get if you get the hire right, the recent trend, and I'm not just saying this year or or last year, I'm saying you know go back to Sean McVay, go back to Kyle Shanahan, right, and then as as you see, um, you know other other coaches, I mean like Cliff Kingsbury, right, in Arizona is is, is another one, um, um, Lafleur up in in Green Bay. Um, there's there's all sorts of of coaches that are that are fitting that mold, right? That that Sean McVay mold, the young offensive play caller, the young whiz kid, really like John Gruden was that guy way back in the day, and 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 that's that's in vogue right now. This is a passing league, and they want these quarterbacks uh, to be developed in in these types of, of schemes and systems with these types of head coaches. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a, a play caller, and you can go back to Drew Brees and uh, and and Sean Payton just being in simpatico for for so many years in New Orleans that led to the Saints dominating the NFC South for years, right? So I I think that th- this is the challenge. It's when you have a defensive minded head coach, he's going to constantly have to replenish that offensive coordinator position if you have success there. And if your offensive coordinators leave to become head coaches, and I think you're right. I think that Bowles is going to experience that very quickly out of the gate with Byron Leftwich. Absolutely. And I know we talk a lot about the in vogue thing is the, the offensive coordinators getting those head coaching jobs and they can create a little bit more stability. But I think it's important that we don't just cherry pick who has been successful and then look at some of the areas where it hasn't worked out long term. You know, Doug yeah. Peterson was an offensive coordinator. It worked really well when Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator. Right. But after Frank Reich moved on to Indy, 
things kind of fell apart for Peterson. And now he's coming back in Jacksonville and there isn't as much faith in, in terms of what he can do. I think when you look at the most successful head coaches over a long period of time, it comes down to how willing are they to adapt. Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, it's not just they were offensive geniuses, they implemented their offenses and, oh, we're, we're going to be successful. Right. They're constantly adapting their offenses and hiring thinkers on the defensive side of the ball that will adapt as well. And I think that's the big thing is how well can a head coach adapt? And I think yeah. Todd Bowles learned from his stint in New York. I think you see it in terms of how he adapted his defense last year with a lot of injuries. He, he did a right. lot of things differently throughout the year um, in order to be successful. And he was able to create, a, you know, still a fairly successful defense when you look at the metrics. So that adaptability, I think, is really the linchpin. We know he has the respect of the locker room. We know he has the respect of the coaches. How adaptable he can and will be, I think, is going to be the linchpin to his success. Yeah. And I'll share one with you before we let you go and have you react to it. You mentioned uh, general manager Jason Light, right, working with Todd Bowles. And the beauty of that relationship is it's not just three years old. It goes back to their first year together in Arizona in 2013. That's really where where the the mutual respect was was fostered. And and even uh, Light was sharing with us at, at the Advent Health Training Center during the press conference that he was the number two personnel guy behind Steve Kime, the general manager in Arizona. And Bowles was the defensive coordinator, the number two guy behind Bruce Arians, right? So they were kind of like on the same level, mm -hmm. so to speak, right? And so you, sometimes you kind of gravitate towards, you know, people of of your stature, your level of, you know, at, at, an, at a place of employment. And, and I think that they kind of bonded in, from that perspective. And then obviously winning a Super Bowl here in Tampa and light and the Glaciers rewarding Todd Bowles with not just the head coaching job this year, but also making him the highest paid defensive coordinator after the Super Bowl. I've just seen in Tampa Bay and in other places. I saw it here when you had um, Lovey Smith and, and Jason Light forced together, so to speak. Uh, Lovey did pick Jason Light, but but um, you know it, it it was a situation where they were brought in together, right? And and even before then, it was with Mark Dominic and Raheem Morris. Neither one of them picked each other. The Lasers made that decision, but it was kind of a forced arrangement there. Um, when the when the Lasers traded for John Gruden, that was the situation in Tampa where Gruden became he became the the favorite, the golden child of the Glaciers and Rich McKay felt slighted and, and uh, those two didn't see eye to eye. So sometimes when you don't have a general manager and a head coach seeing eye to eye, or there is some friction, uh, it, it can spell disaster for a franchise, right? I've just seen it here in Tampa. And I don't think that's going to happen here because these two have already worked so well together for several years now. Yeah. A power struggle. I don't, I can't remember in, in my lifetime a power struggle between those two very important positions ever turning out well for the organization as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so when you have this continuity, and I think it goes back to that continuity, you spoke about it in terms of their time together in Arizona. As an organization, since Jason Light and Bruce Arians have come in together, uh, or I should say Bruce Arians came in and they started working together, yeah. the organization as a whole has moved as one. You really yeah. don't hear from the front office to the coaching staff of any friction in terms of differences of opinion. If that can continue, I think success will continue as well.
Yeah. And I think one last point uh, that we both agree on here when it comes to Jason Light and Todd Bowles in this this marriage together is when you have a system in place, right? And, and Bruce Arians playbook is going to continue on once Byron Leftwich leaves, you know, if, if they end up um, promoting from within, which I, I think they will, Kevin Garber would be a logical choice at wide receiver. Thaddeus Lewis, assistant receivers coach, also getting a lot of uh, praise and love from Bruce Arians as well as, as a young up and coming mind. So I think Bruce Arians system and playbook will live on past Leftwich. Todd Bowles will certainly have his scheme here as long as he's the head coach. So I think what happens is you kind of get into a groove from a personnel standpoint where it becomes a lot easier for the scouting staff and the personnel staff when they're looking for, for Buccaneer players in the draft, you can look at a Buccaneer edge rusher or a Buccaneer safety, right? And it, those are easily identified. You look at a player and say, that's that's a Bucks wide receiver. That's yep. a Bucks running back. That's a Bucks offensive lineman. And I think that's that's why you see teams like Pittsburgh, teams like Baltimore that have drafted really, really well for so many years. The reason why is because they know exactly what they're looking for, right? Absolutely. And, and you hear it even from like draft analysts where they say this player fits for these teams. It's very easy if there's a consensus on that. And then you have teams <clears throat> like a Houston where you're like, nobody knows where they're going to pick or who right. they're going to pick because they have no clue what a Houston fit is. Gosh, um, the they Bucks. don't know. <laughs> That's very I true. have no idea. That's a lost <laughs> franchise. Don't tell anyone. Um, but but it, you, know, you can see that in terms of the stable organizations, they develop a culture, they develop a scheme fit, they develop players that work within that culture and that scheme fit. Yeah. And it becomes more easily identifiable over the years. And it's really starting to happen here with the Bucks, you know, it's really great. You, know, you and I, we talk a lot and, yep. and you've had so much experience with this team, just observing them, you know, and, and analyzing them. You can tell, oh, that's not a Bucks fit. You know, I'll say, hey, look at this guy. This guy's awesome. You're like, yeah, but he's not a Bucks fit. It, it's not going to happen. And, and that that culture becomes huge. And I think that yep. that will continue with Todd Bowles. Yeah, I agree. Great thoughts from Josh Capo. We certainly appreciate your time, Josh. Thanks so much. Thank you, Scott. Have a great day. You too. And uh, now we're going to bring in Casey Hudson to continue the conversation about Todd Bowles. And uh, we all like the pick. Casey, how are you doing today? Hi, SR. I'm good. Yeah. You know, Jeez, this feels like a Thursday, so we're, we're off to a nice start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, this this is a situation where I think all of us kind of we've, we've talked in the Pew Report group chat about Todd Bowles. We think this this is a good selection, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I want to hear from you. What are, you know, give me a couple of reasons why you think that that this is not just a good pick, but also why Todd Bowles can be successful. Maybe not even just this year with Tom Brady, but but maybe why this can be a situation where he becomes the next great Buccaneer head coach joining the likes of Bruce Arians and Tony Dungy and John Gruden. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one there's actually like a good amount of reasons that I actually feel good about this. Um, Josh definitely touched on a few of them. For one, he's got a more formulated roster to work with than the other rosters that he has dealt with and been successful. I mean, in some instances, he was just an assistant coach, but when he was with the Dolphins in 2008 and went 11 and 6, they were top of the charts of the AFC East. So kind of looking at those rosters and looking at the role that he played alongside those teams or within those teams, if you will, you know that he's a smart guy. And I know a lot of people are concerned about scheme and, you know, 
how he's going to manage that. But the reality of it is that when you're a defensive coach, not just defensive, defensive minded, but when that's your role or your niche or, you know, the narrow box that you're put in, that's where your focus is. So now as a head coach who said that he doesn't want to be labeled as a defensive minded coach or a defensive coach, he's going to expand upon that and try to learn so much more and to think about the people and the, and the staff that he has around him to learn from and then kind of put his twist to it. I have a lot of confidence in how that's going to pan out. So he is a brilliant guy. Obviously everybody supporting him thinks that he's a brilliant guy. So somebody who's going to tap into a whole nother level of coaching and we've seen him do, you know, quite well with it. Josh also spoke of his first season with the jets. I mean, guys, we've seen what's gone on with the jets. So that in itself, him just having a more well, better formulated roster, I think would be way off. Um, Something else that I kind of thought of, and you'd probably be the best person to counteract this or go along with it. It was noted or it was put out there that Brady actually knew almost a week in advance that Bruce was about to step down or Mm -hmm. that Brady knew kind of first. I can't imagine that within the conversation to Brady that it wasn't talked about that Bulls would probably be the next man up. Right. And we're talking about Tom Brady here, he didn't come out of retirement right. to have a fearful run. <laughs> he didn't come yeah. out of retirement to have a whole bunch of question marks next to the season or uh, unanswered questions. This is a man who thrives off of being confident um, and successful. So for him to have a conversation with Bruce Arians that kind of entails and, and paints a picture of Todd Bowles being the next head coach and for Tom Brady to still be on the roster today, <laughs> ready to come back and, you know, build out this team and and go for another one. I think that speaks volumes in itself. Well, yeah. And, and Casey, you're right. Tom Brady's not going to come back. And then all of a sudden, not like the replacement for Bruce Arians, right? He's, Mm -hmm. he's, he's not going to come back and say, Oh wait, Bruce is not (laughs) coaching. Oh, you're going to go with Todd Bowles. Okay. I'm going to re-retire. It's, you know, that, that, that situation was never going to happen. This is something that, that as we've come to find out, the, the four people that really knew about this were obviously Bruce Arians, Jason Light, Joel Glazier, and Tom Brady, right? And we can sit there and speculate and guess about the timeline and whatever. It, that doesn't matter. Here we are right now, and those four people and Todd Bowles, of course, are all on the same page. They're all moving forward, and they are all have smiles on their faces, and, and they all wanted this outcome, and, and here it is. I mean, for, for Tom Brady to show up to the press conference – when he didn't have to, there's only a couple oh. of players there just because this is the off season. The players aren't really even reporting yet, but for, for Brady to be at the facility, to pop in, sit down, be all smiles and, and, uh, and witness the moment of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Arians getting uh, the announcement that he's going to be inducted into the Bucks ring of honor, which was a great uh, honor. And, and then to have, uh, you know, Todd Bowles to be there for the press conference to show that support. You're right. This is, this is something that, that Tom Brady knew about and he was all in on from day one. Yes. And I, and like I said, I think that says so much because you also put it perfectly to, to say who, you know, was already privy to the fact that Bruce was about to step down. Well, yeah. if, if a guy like Tom Brady had any kind of woes about it, I'm sure it would have been a much more in-depth conversation because the part of the biggest excitement leading into the season is the fact that the Bucks have Tom Brady back and, you know, yeah. Tom plays such a crucial role because of his veteran presence, because of what he's done in this league, where Byron does listen to to Tom Brady. Byron probably does kind of lean in the direction that Tom wants to go in. There was a lot of, you know, speculations of how that conversation took place, but I do think that it's a very 
um, informative and knowledgeable conversation that takes place between Byron and, and Tom Brady. So once again, Todd Bowles is going to be under an umbrella of learning from, you know, a great mind like Tom Brady and getting his perspective and bringing that defensive perspective to match such an elite offensive perspective, I think is actually a really cool thing to look forward to this upcoming season. And something else I thought of too, as you guys touched on the fact that yep. there's relationships here that go way back, you know, working together with the Cardinals and so on and so forth. That, what I love about that is that, you know, in Todd's press conference, he said he's not looking to change anything. There's not going to be any kind of drastic, you know, cultural change or right. feel or, dif you know, difference there. It's going to be more so more sort of a build off. So they're going to build yeah. off what Bruce made. But this is a guy who's worked with Bruce at the Cardinals. This is also a guy who I think is very much a player's coach mentality, just as Bruce Arians came off. Yeah. Uh, and you can really almost stand by that, seeing as how he played in the NFL. And he's a guy who not only played in the NFL, but had to really grind his way into the NFL as an undrafted free agent earn his spot so he knows you know what it's like to really work for that success and fight to get to the top and play it in a super bowl so yeah. he's a guy who's won a super bowl as an athlete and as a coach and that's going to play a lot into his coaching mechanisms and right. kind of give that similar feel to the, to what bruce arians brought that created such a beautiful culture at the bucks facility yeah it's gonna be interesting too we have a you know a question here from from tony sailor and i think it's a good one something that i that I'm looking forward to asking uh, <laughs> this Todd question. myself is, is he going <laughs> to fix the special teams three years in a row of awful special teams? I think there's been a couple of bright spots. I think Ryan Suckup was, was great yes. in 2020, not so much last year, although he wasn't like a, a detriment to the team. I think he's still he wasn't a very good kicker. Was two, three years prior. Correct. Yeah. Good yeah. Yeah. The return game definitely needs some work, right? I mean, Jalen Darden, I, I don't think is the answer. I mean, we'll give him another year to see, uh, but, Ugh. but uh, the, the coverage units are probably the better, you know, the better units on, on this team. I think Grant Stewart is, is a yeah. fantastic. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that might be like, like Matthew Slater-esque in terms of being a special teams, ace, a pro bowl caliber coverage mm -hmm. guy. Uh, that's that's how highly the Bucks think of him, and, and KJ Britt wasn't bad either. But yeah, the special teams just just lack a dynamic quality to them. It's it's yeah. I, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but they are not special in Tampa. And it's gonna be interesting <laughs> to see what type of spin he puts on there. And the thing is, Bruce Bruce Arians is loyal. You know, and sometimes you can be loyal to a fault. I saw that during the Dungey years, and mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's a it's a thing where. Where sometimes coaches can can be too loyal and 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 they're not willing to part ways with their guys. Yep. Um, I'm not saying fire Keith Armstrong. I'm, I'm not making that call yet. But it will be interesting to see if there's any changes. And it won't happen this year. But after this year, if there are any changes in this coaching staff, and not just people leaving for promotions elsewhere, right. but maybe some changes in the coaching staff. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. I mean, I think we actually all as a team kind of talked about this in season because there was a couple games where we were like, why are, why are we not committing to the change? This yeah. player is producing. This player's not all there. His head's somewhere else. Why, why is the switch not coming a little bit faster? So maybe with Bulls being a bit younger, and again, he's physically played as a player. He knows what it's like to grind it out and earn a spot. Right. He might be a, a bit more open to yeah. – quickly making those changes because everyone knows how I feel about Darden, nothing against the guy, but sure. he's not producing. 
And then you bring Scotty Miller in for a game, and this is not me <laughs> being a Scotty Miller oh, fan. Come on now. Like, come on know, now. Okay, maybe Scotty a little Miller bit. Scotty Miller is you what Blaine is to me. Just don't deny it. Just own fine, it. Fine, 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 fine. If you can admit the Blaine thing, then I have to completely give in to the That's Scotty right. Miller thing. Yes. But you're never wrong when it comes to speaking of the facts of Blaine Gabbert. Well, he is undefeated every Buccaneer game you played in last year. I'm exactly. just saying. Maybe you stick so, him in there for, you know, a play or two against the Rams, and there's a different outcome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see that call and see what happens. Yeah. But, I mean, if you can stand by Blaine, then I can stand by Scotty and right. say that he did way better than Darden for yeah. his a few You mean flip and slide. Yeah, rather than, yeah, all the dancing on the field and yeah. wearing roller skates on on, on grass. grass. Yeah. It's right. just wild. So. I'd love to see a change on special teams. Absolutely. I would and too. I think this is the guy who would probably at least be a little quicker to give somebody yeah. else an opportunity to make plays and to be more progressive. Yeah. And another reason, and, and Josh kind of touched on this, just want to get your perspective here. When, when you think about this, right, it's, it, I mean, this, this is, this is not like an earth shattering analysis I'm going to provide you here. It's more common sense, but, but really when you think about it, um, when usually when there's a coaching hire, it's because one team sucked really, really bad and fired their coach, right? right. More, more often than not, that's what happens. Sometimes you have, you've got the retirement, but usually that's not the case. A couple times you've seen this before. Tony Dungy did the same thing in Indianapolis. He turned it over to Jim Caldwell. That was a, a playoff caliber Colts team, et cetera. So it, it's, it's not like this hasn't happened before, but usually when you're a new coach, you're going to a shitty team that, that, mm -hmm had double digit losses and fired the guy before you. That's why you have the job. This is a, a far cry from what he experienced with the jets. We talked about the general manager already being in place, the players that he has in place. Mm -hmm. He's already installed his scheme. He's got the coaches. There's, there's, there's nobody he has to hire. He's worked with these people before. It's almost like he's three years into his first year coaching in Tampa Bay. He's yeah. got that much of a head start. And, and yes, I know that Tom Brady is a difference maker in the NFC. This could be and should be a very good year, a very yeah. a very good first year for Todd Bowles as head coach. But yeah, just putting agree. that aside, he's got a three-year head start on this. And, and that's remarkable when you think about it that way. Yeah. No, 100%. I couldn't disagree with that at all because, like we said, he's just got a way better formulated roster. And it's way different when you come into system and you, and you have to completely rebuild – Versus mm -hmm. the fact that like he's transitioning from being the defensive coordinator, which means he had full control of 50% of that team. Right. And I'm sure within meetings, they all kind of share a little bit and, and lean in, in certain directions with one another. So another thing is that he he's taken so much accountability for, you know, previous coaching decisions and stuff. And I think that he's been put in prime learning opportunities right. where this is going to be a great build off for him, whether he was wearing the head coaching hat or the defensive coordinator hat. Yeah, He's well, in a position to, to build off of the tough lessons that he has had. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, I'm not the most prideful per. Yes, I am. I'm sort of, <laughs> 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 but that, you know, that Rams game that had to be a yeah. big deal for him to swallow and for him it to was. do so gracefully and not defensively and be as vocal as he was at his press conference. You're looking at somebody who's ready to, to, build off yeah. every lesson and create a, and just add to what 
Bruce Arians created and, right. and Jason Light has created. And I'm really intrigued now with him being the head coach, yeah. how the draft is fully going to pan out because he may see something from a different perspective mm -hmm. that he wants to build out long term versus what Bruce maybe had in mind. True. So, yeah, and and, and the, you're right. Bruce Bruce had more say so in the draft along with Jason Light than Todd Bowles did. They would certainly consult Todd about the defensive mm -hmm. stuff for sure. But um, on the screen here is is Casey Rogers, who was the defensive coordinator under Bowles in New York. He will be sharing those duties now with Larry Foote. And Foote it was was a player that that Bruce Arians told me had they lost Todd, had Todd gotten a head coaching job, Bruce Arians would have promoted. Larry Foote to the defensive coordinator position. Yeah. So that's how how highly uh, both Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians thinks about Larry Foote. It's interesting to note, too, that Foote will be coaching Devin White now, the inside <laughs> linebackers coach, where he was coaching outside linebackers the first two seasons. And Foote was an inside linebacker playing in Pittsburgh. So this is a position for him that I, I think really kind of resonates. And and it's going to be interesting to 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 see what happens with Devin White with a different voice in, in his head, right? A different voice in his ear now. Yeah. And, and nothing against Mike Caldwell, but sometimes you need a change, just like Bruce Arians said. Sometimes you need a change. The, the message will be the same, right? The, the, the trust, the, loyal, the loyalty, the accountability, that the culture that was established under Bruce, but, but the message is going to sound different coming from Todd Bowles. And, and maybe, maybe that – that different sound will resonate with players and maybe for Devin white hearing Larry foot kind of say some of the same things, but in a different way will resonate with Devin white. Maybe we'll see a better version of Devin white because of, of the change and having Larry foot, not just as the inside linebackers coach now, but as the defensive coordinator along with Casey Rogers. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. Especially because sometimes when you, you can find just, 1% more to relate to somebody, you're more willing to hear them or, you know, it's easier to take their direction. So I'm sure we're all looking forward to seeing <laughs> the Devin White that we expected to see this past season, a right. more mature, a more kind of steady, stable and strategic Devin White. And the potential's there. We've seen it in, in, in various games that he has the potential to really dial in and, and be more, more dominant than, than all over the place than a dynamite. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I think between, you know, Larry Foote's experience, I think between his players experience where he's been um, and him being a voice in his ear, that can just translate way differently. Nothing against any other coaches, but right. I, I completely agree. And I also think that, look, people love to see, you know, how think of that huddle where it's like offense versus defense and mm -hmm. they get each other riled up to go against each other and practice because, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Right. I can just picture the defense firing off on a whole nother cylinder, not because Todd Bowles is Todd Bowles, but because he was the defensive coordinator. He's been the sound umbrella of, you know, reason and direction for all of them. Now right. him being the head and not translating through that could even strike differently with guys. Yeah. So that could help them elevate to a whole nother level with him being the head coach now versus the defensive coordinator and, and kind of ignite something different there. So I am really excited to see, how that all goes about. I think we'll get our yeah. first piece of it in training camp, but I do want to see how the offense is going to respond to him. He definitely made it clear that he does not want to be seen as a defensive minded coach. Um, right. That's not, you know, all there is to him, but you know, years ago, we all used to proudly sit here and say defenses win games and, and many Super and championships. Bowls and championships mm -hmm. and many games 
years yeah. ago, we were, that's all we were seeing was defense right. pulling through. In yeah, those it was dungy ball. It was it was win with Monty Kiffin's defense and enough of a running game and don't screw it up in the passing game. Mm-hmm. The league has changed then, you know, since the '90s and the early 2000s, and and the rule changes and the quarterback play has has just fostered that change. But at the same time, um, and and I'll, I'll leave you with this, Casey. I thought one of the of the, the most poignant things that Todd Bowles said was, and, and he was talking a little bit about, you know, well, uh, we asked him in the media scrum uh, after the press conference, you know, you've got a kind of a daunting schedule, right, with the Chiefs and the Bengals and the Rams. And 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 he said, well, you know, they have to play us too, right? Yes. And so I, I think that, that that type of defensiveness, and I mean that pun intended, uh, <laughs> it, it's one thing to to sit there and say like, oh, you know, you're playing against the high-flying Chiefs offense and the high-flying Rams offense. Well, you're playing against the Buccaneers defense too. And while it did have some hiccups last year at times, and a lot of those were due to injury, uh, you can point to some of, of the of the better defensive performances. And, of course, his crowning jewel, uh, his crowning achievement was the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, when this defense is on and firing at all cylinders, the pass rush, the defensive backs, the linebackers, when, when it's all working together – it, it can be a bit of a nightmare for opposing offenses. And so I, I like the fact that he has that type of attitude mm-hmm. and mentality because that is, that is defensive. It's, it's listen, it's one thing to sit there and score 30 some points per game like the Bucks offense has, mm-hmm. but it didn't accomplish the mission last year. Uh, how are you going to stop those offenses? How are you going to stop an offense like the Rams or the Chiefs or the Bengals, right? That's just as important because you can get into these shootouts, and if the other team's got one more point, you lose. Yep, or enough time on the clock. Correct. And, you know, I love that you mentioned that because realistically, doesn't that kind of confidence just get you fired up hearing that from a head coach when the typical response is, oh, yeah, we play great teams that are going to bring us great challenges, and we'll see what happens in that moment. It was like, no, they've got to get through us first. And I guess to leave it at this, when you look at it from a fan perspective or even media wise, certain games this past season, when the Bucks put up 30 some odd points, that was exciting. We talked about that with enthusiasm, but did we not talk to win. even more enthusiasm about the games where the Bucks defense did not let the other team score or get in the end zone at all. Yeah. So it's just like looking at the excitement level and looking at the things that we really, you know, get involved in and get hype about it's, it's those defensive games. It's those defensive shutouts. It's those big splash plays that happen on defense because there's so much confidence behind the offense. And yeah. I think we all feel a little bit more confident now of what the offense could potentially do this sure. season. But having a coach, a head coach that says something like that with that much confidence and knowing what this defense can produce, I think that he's in for a successful first season with yep. the Bucks as a head coach. Those that, that come back against the Rams didn't happen without the takeaways by the defense, right? Because the offense wasn't mm-hmm. doing their job, only three points in the first half. Now, of course, the, the Bucks defense wouldn't do their job either. They allowed the Rams to have a big first-half lead. But then it worked hand-in-hand hand together, getting the ball back to Brady and Mike Evans and that offense. Kept it close until that one fateful play, which Todd Bowles owned up to. So uh, we appreciate your, your input, uh, Casey Hudson. Thank you so much. And um, – Speaking of input, folks, when it comes to financial input, there's only one place to turn to. At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. 
we can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead. Stay ahead. J.C. Allen, we got to get to Colorado, man. Yeah, we got to. Listen, managing your family's wealth means more to Immuni Financial than simply allocating your assets. Listen, folks, I can read this script. You guys have heard it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I did. I want you to pick up the phone. Just write this number down. 1-800-868-6864. That's 1-800-868-6864. Or visit immuni.com. Listen, I've got the vast majority of my uh, portfolios and investments with Immuni Financial for one reason. I trust them. I know them. I've done business with them for, for a long time. Uh, my relationship with, with David um, Polkinghorn and uh, and Mark go, go back years. And with Immuni Financial, we're living in some uncertain times, people. And you want some, some experience at the helm, right? There's a reason why Bruce Arians passed the torch to Todd Bowles because he's got experience doing this as a proven defensive coordinator, as a head coach with, with some experience in, in the league already. So why don't you get some experience on your side when it comes to brokerage and advisory services, retirement accounts, legacy planning, college savings accounts, and insurance services? Plan ahead and stay ahead with Immuni Financial. Give them a call, 1-800-868-6864 for a risk-free, no-obligation consultation. And if you like what, you, what they have to say, then go ahead and sign up for Immuni Services. But do yourself a favor right now. Even if you have uh, your own financial advisor, it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion. Call Immuni or visit them on the web today at Immuni.com. Hello, JC. How are we doing today? What's going on, SR? I'm, I'm doing well. I hope everyone's uh, enjoying the pod. And if you haven't already, hit that thumbs up button, please. Yes. yes. Our, our, our Google SEO. So please do that. And thanks for tuning in. But Right. And and also thanks for helping us hit 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. We appreciate that. So uh, definitely hit those, those, um, those thumbs up. The like buttons greatly helps us, as JC said. Also subscribing uh, helps more people find us on YouTube. We're Buccaneer fans, and we want to inform, educate, and entertain as many of the pewter people as we can. So before we get to uh, today's topic, which is the reasons why we think Todd Bowles has got a, a, a chance of succeeding in Tampa, uh, you know, listen, uh, you started up today <laughs> with the Floridians especially um, on Publix, uh, subs, pub subs. And uh, your comment was that you're not a fan or just not, they're not special or listen, everybody better buckle up because we're getting the hot take express right now. We're going, I've got, I've got some points to hit. First okay. of all, pub subs eh? they're mediocre at best guys. Come on. A pub sub. Everyone likes the chicken tender pub sub, right? Well, the first of all, these chicken tenders are ginormous. The tender to breading ratio is so far off. And then you get these nice crunchy chicken tenders and they cut them up and they mush them all together. Now you're just left with this soggy, mushy, saucy mess in, in your in your sub. I'm not a fan of it. If okay. I am going to get a pub sub, I want these. I want the tenders whole. Don't cut my tenders up. Okay. Give me the sauce on the Fair side because you're going to just mess them all up. You know, I mean, an Italian sub is an Italian sub. The bread is not that great i mean i know it's cooked fresh there but it's not as good as it could be listen i'm from the northeast new england area and you guys know that but if you Couldn't want a real tell. sub mom and pop sub, sub shops up there are everywhere pizza 
pizza shops. Lutz House of Pizza would be down here. You know, you've got Tampa House of Pizza, all yep. these places, and it's absolutely the best. And roast beef sandwiches, they don't have anything like that down here. You got to go to a chain store like a Jersey Mike's or a Firehouse Subs. They don't have any of these things here. So, you know, that's my stance on it. I don't mind them. I'll get one once in a time, but, you know, to put them on a pedestal, I just, I think that's out of control. Okay. All right, fire away, Bucks fans that are that are fans of public subs. Um, Trevor Sikama, I'm sure, is just uh, you know rolling in his head is exploding in Cincinnati right now. Hearing that, so I'm uh, not done. I've got another hot take too. Okay, well we'll we'll get to that in a second. We we want to get your hot takes on on Todd Bowles right now because that's that is the topic du jour. Right. Um, you know, I, I think we all that too. yeah we we all liked the news right that that Todd Bowles I I think was was a, the, the right choice um, to replace Bruce Arians. And I think part of it was done from a strategic standpoint. He knows Todd going back to coaching him at Temple. And Todd has experience, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, uh, what what was on display in, in the Super Bowl, and, and just in turning the Buccaneers back into a defensive team. You know, back in, in the, the 70s during the 1979 Buccaneer team, this was a defensive town with Leroy Summon leading the way. Then you had Brooks and Sapp and Lynch and Barber you know, during the, the 90s and the 2000s. This has always been kind of a defensive town. And now you're getting back to that after some awful defenses under the likes of Raheem Morris and Greg Schiano and Lovey Smith, Mike Smith. Uh, so I, I'm... As a defensive-minded guy, I'm excited that, that Todd Bowles was the head coach for that reason. But we have already explained a couple of reasons, myself and and Casey Hudson and and Josh Capo. But uh, what is what is the number one reason why you think Todd Bowles can have some success here in Tampa? I think continuity is the biggest one. And, and even Todd said it himself. You know, he doesn't have to get to know anybody. He knows everybody. The staff is in place. The players are in place. He knows everyone other than new players coming in and rookies. So I think that will do well. I, I'm perfectly fine. I think it's it's a great hire for this year. Where I'm caught up is after that. But, you know, I think this year he's going to afford a level of stability. Um, you know, he's not going to have to come in and implement everything that he wants to get done right. because a lot of his foundations and his core principles are the same as Bruce Arians. So he's going to, as he said multiple times, just tweak things here and there to fit his personality, fit his style. We've already seen that, you know, with with some of the things he's been doing. He's reaching out to all the coaches because this is their week off last week. Yeah. Um, as he said, they all reported on Monday. So and, I get half a week off. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, you got to go to the, the, the basketball game, though, with his four right. So, I mean, um, you know, we're six days away from, you know, their offseason workout program starting up. I know a lot of guys are already in the building already. We saw some of the guys there um, during his introductory press conference, guys like Robert Hainsey, Cam Brait, Ryan Griffin, who was recently re-signed. Brady was mm -hmm. there. Gronk has been reported to be there. And I, I know I saw Gronk there, too. I wasn't sure. <laughs> But I definitely did. And then they came out and said, Gronk, uh, Jason said, you know, Gronk's still working in the facility. I'm like, I knew I saw him. So, yeah. um, you know, there's still a bunch of guys there working out already. There are more guys will come in as they come into town. I know guys like KJ Britt, Jamel Dean are in town. They'll probably head over there on the 11th. And then the guys right. will start to trickle in, um, which is great for him. We'll get to sit down and say, hey, this is my vision. And I think that's going to be great for this season. I think the continuity there and that level of familiarity Arity, I almost struggle with yep. that word, is going to help them and propel them to potentially win a Super Bowl this year. I really think they are Super Bowl contenders. It's 
my 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 case is is he the right man for the job after next season and, and what i mean by that is there's a lot of variables that are coming into play yep. and the biggest one of course is tom brady right um if, if tom brady leaves now you're back at square one with okay what are we doing at quarterback yep. is it going to be kyle trask is it going to be blaine gabbard who remains unsigned is it ryan griffin do they go draft a rookie if they have a late round pick how are you going to get a good quality rookie do they visit yep. baker mayfield if he's a free agent is kyler murray a free agent what about lamar jack i mean there's plenty of different routes but that's mm -hmm. the scenario that you have to step into yeah. The also scenario is well let's stop you there real quick hold on to that thought because i want to hear what you're going to say but the interesting thing is when you look at, at at todd bowles right he he went through i think five different quarterbacks in four years up up there right everybody from ryan fitzpatrick who we had some success with sam darnold uh bryce petty uh even geno smith was was up there and it was one and oh right uh so Josh McCown, right? So he went through some quarterbacks there. Part of that was because of due to injury or some of those guys were, you know, um, just not playing well, right? And there was there was some some poor play that led to the backup getting the job, et cetera. So I, I think the fact that the Todd Bowles has gone through some some quarterbacks is yeah. going to help him because sometimes the the experience that you get from from screwing up and not doing things the right way can benefit you, right? Just as much as well, I did this the right way, right? So the bad experiences you can learn from just as much as you can the good ones. So I think the fact that he's gone through some quarterbacks trying to find the right one will maybe help him in 2023 post Brady. Yeah, the, I agree with that too. And I think, you know, having, and he's talked about this, you know, you know, how it's, it's not going to be the hat. first time that he's yeah exactly this is you know, coach right. He's talked about having to wear the different hats and different players and the organizational structure and everything like that. The other, the bigger thing to me is you know if if Brady goes on an MVP campaign, uh, Byron might be gone, and that's where I think it hurts more. I think Byron, you know, had a head coaching job, then decided not to have it because they wouldn't right. fire Trent Balky. Uh, but if Byron gets a head coaching job. And depending on who he brings with him, say he brings Kevin Garver as his OC or Thad Lewis as his OC, now you're in a situation where now you have to replace that guy and your quarterback in the same offseason. And that's not a good recipe for success. Yeah. So that's where I get kind of, you know, a little bit weary of what could potentially happen down the road. Right. I, I have fully trust in him that his defense is always going to be good. And we know defense wins championships. It yeah. certainly proved that point in the Super Bowl win. Right. But the fact of the matter is, it's still an offensive passing league. And if you don't have a good coordinator and a good quarterback, it's going to make it really tough. And, no. you know, we, we thought we were getting a glimpse of Trask. We still don't know what he could be. Right. Maybe we'll see it next year. And it's interesting because you mentioned Kevin Garver. That's who we have on the screen there. He's the wide receivers coach. He was probably in line to be the offensive coordinator under Bruce if Byron Leftwich left. However, as you mentioned, could have been a bidding war because maybe Byron wanted to bring him to Jacksonville or if very close relationship. They walk the practice field every single day, multiple Correct. laps, though. I think if he does get a job and sorry to cut you off, I think if he yeah. does get a job, Garver's going to be his first call as OC. But yeah. sorry. And, and, and really, it'll come down to money more so than anything. Right. Because if, if you have an offensive coordinator, yeah. you know, if you have the chance to, you know, to, to be there. And, and I think, too, it's like, well. It really depends, right? Which which situation are you are you going to go to? Right? Are you going to go to a, a lesser team that maybe doesn't have the wide receivers, or do you, you want to stick around with with Mike Evans and 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 Chris Godwin and and Russell uh, 
gauge. And, but and coaches like that challenge, though, of building your true. own wide receiver room from the start. And I think right. it's also, gonna, as you mentioned, you know, where is he going? What's the quarterback situation right. like? You know, all those things come into play. I mean, money, I think, is probably one of the factors for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it's probably lower down the line where they're, OK, right. I'm getting this opportunity at, at either place. Do I want to go start and Good build point. something or do I want to stay here and sustain something? And that's a big question to ask yourself. And, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, down the road and potentially as soon as next year. I mean, this could legit right. be a scenario next year where, where now, you know, where they're trying to fill this role. And, you know, maybe Goodwin could step into that role. Coach Goody mm -hmm. could step into that role yeah. as offensive coordinator, which would help. I'd love to see that. I know you would. That's why I mentioned it. Help yeah. his chances at a head coaching job. And right. you know, there, there, there's tons of options. I spoke when I spoke with Glo Joe Glazer at the uh, introductory press conference, he goes, look, mm -hmm. we have a ton of guys on our staff that could be head coaches. You right. know, at this time, we just thought that, you know, Byron was the right choice for us. So they've got, right. they've got options, but it, you're still you're still at the quarterback position, you know. What's your options? Mm -hmm. We know the Glazers have gotten that taste of the revenue of the Super Bowl. Do they right. want to go to a rookie uh, or you know an unknown quarterback, or will they make a splash? Or will they try yep. to make a splash? So it'll be something interesting to see. Well, and the other thing too is, and, and you kind of touched on this, and I want to to re reinforce this point is with those coaches. You know, we know that they were loyal to Bruce Arians, right? Because Bruce is the one that hired them. But I just wonder if if it's a situation where they're going to be loyal to Todd, too. They worked with Todd, but they worked for Bruce. You catch my drift there? And then also, right. too, we know that Bruce Arians was extremely fond of Kyle Trask and extremely fond of the most handsome quarterback in Tampa, Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> and you just wonder what the loyalty is there from Todd Bowles. What is his opinion of those particular players too going forward we talk about you know trask and and uh and gabbert being the options this year for bruce arians if if tom brady didn't return but it might be a situation where todd bowles wants to forge a different path yeah does he like gabbert as much you know yeah. like that's a question he there. Is he mean, like yeah. you know was he on board with the trask selection you know does does he feel as high highly as maybe byron and maybe uh, you know, Bruce did. And, and I mean, and the guy who got lost out of this is the guy who works directly with the quarterbacks is Clyde Christensen. Right. What does he decide to do? You know, does he yeah. hang it up? Does he follow Byron? Does he move into that offensive right. role? There's so many unknowns and variables that come into play for further down the line where it really is something where I, I think he can be successful. Like I said, I think his defenses right. will continue to be at the top, you know, top five in the league. Um, you know, very minimum top 10 with the talent they've occurred, uh, accrued and just the way he coaches. It just, yeah. to me, it depends. So much depends, as we know, on that quarterback position. We've seen massive trades mm -hmm. and massive contracts this offseason, last offseason, to and really drive funny, that point home. It's funny how when Bruce and and Jason were in Indianapolis, right, and Matt Matera and, and, uh, and John Ledyard were there, and they were kind of complaining and bitching and moaning. Yeah, you know, well, we tried to get a quarterback and no one's trading him. And then all of a sudden, like all hell breaks loose about a week <laughs> later, everyone's traded. You know, you want a quarterback, right. you get a quarterback. You want a quarterback, you get a quarterback. You never so know. That's kind of speaking of the quarterback. Here's my last point, And I want to get your thoughts on this. I, I think one of the things that intrigues me about this is that Bruce Arians was a very hands off coach. But we know that he was an offensive minded guy. So he was much more likely to sit in with Tom Moore, with Clyde Christensen, with Tom Brady, with Byron Leftwich on the offensive side, right? It's his offense. It's his playbook, his right. scheme, his system. 
Um, and, and he's the quarterback whisperer. That's his side of the ball. And I really think that he left Todd Bowles the hell alone, very much like John Gruden when he was here. He left Monty Kiffin the hell alone, right? Like, you call the defense, Monty. I got the offense. It was interesting to hear from Todd Bowles that while he's going to be the defensive uh, play caller, he's going to have two coordinators in Casey Rogers and, and Larry Foote. But he does want to have uh, some input and some knowledge about what's happening there. And I think the interesting thing there is, is kind of when you're, when you're, when you're one minded, right. Uh, when you've got all those offensive guys in a room together, there's a lot of experience, right. From, from Todd Moore, Clyde Christensen, Byron Leftwich, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians. But when you've got a defensive guy in there, you know, and you can look at it and say, um, you know, this is how I would look at this. And, you know, boy, you want this protection boy. Cause the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to penetrate the a gap with, with this. I'm going to force the center this way. Then I'm going to bring right. a blitz this way. It's just a little bit different way to look at it. Like I remember back in my pop Warner days as a defensive coordinator and I bring this up in jest, but, but there was some truth to this too. Our offensive coordinator was our head coach and, and our other OC, you know, that they would, they would email me plays and say, take a look at this. I'm like, I don't want to look at your, your offensive plays. I hate offense. Right. Because all you're going to do is you're going to show me the plays. and I'm going to show you how I'm going to defend it. Right. And how yeah. I'm going to blow it up. That's what he so, wanted. I'm sure. Well, yeah, we talked about that stuff, but I, that was that was kind of my my standard line. <laughs> but but it is helpful to, to have that type of perspective because right. offensive coordinators in their mind, every play is a first down or a touchdown. Right. <laughs> and as a defensive coordinator. Right. You look at things and it's like, how do I stop this? What are you trying to do on this play and how am I going to how am I going to counteract it? So. I like the fact that that Bowles, his input might be five or ten percent, and that's fine. It's not meddlesome, but I kind of like the fact that he might be able to to see some things in practice okay. and say, "Wait a minute, like like uh, this is how I would have protection this way this. instead of that way, right?" Yeah. I would exploit this this way. Maybe we should do right. this this way. Exactly. Yeah. Which which brings me to my my last hot take. And I know we're running a little bit over here. My last hot take is about protection and about protecting your quarterback. Yeah. And I think that really we need to stop with this. We need a left guard in the first round talk. Listen, I've I've been all over the Twitter sphere, and all I see is everyone saying we need a left guard. We need a left guard. We need a left guard. I don't care about wide receiver. I don't care about this. We need a left guard. Right. Let me just tell you real quick about the left guards that Tom Brady played with in his career in New England. Joe Andrusi, Dan Connolly, Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, Trey Jackson, Stephen Neal, Ryan Wendell. Majority of those guys are all undrafted. Now, he did play. I know you're saying, well, he played with some first run. Logan Mankins, of course, as the Buccaneers know. Brian Waters for one season at guard. Damian Woody for one season at guard. That's it. He had an incredible offensive line coach, kind of like what the Bucs have here. Very good offensive line coaches that had won with undrafted free agents, fourth, fifth, third round picks. I just and, you know, the the fact that everyone's like, we need to take a guard in the first round with Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green. I'm not opposed to it. If that's what the right. Bucs feel is the best spot and the best player on the board, by all means. But for it to be an end all be all. And yeah. let me just give you one more list before I stop this. Lakin Tomlinson, Andres Pete, Quinton Nelson, Justin Pugh, Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker, James Carpenter, Brandon Sheriff, Zach Martin, Kevin Zeitler, Alex Leatherwood, Chris Lindstrom, Kyle Long. Okay. The only first round left or right guards in the league right now that were drafted in the first round. Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin, obvious. The rest of those guys, there's some good names on there. Lindstrom and Zietler and Scherf, you know. Scherf's, but yeah. 
guys, you don't need to draft the first round guard. Like yeah. this offensive line is elite at every other position. Don't give me that Donovan Smith crap. You had one bad game going against a uh, Super Bowl MVP, future Hall of Famer, and Von Miller. All right. He's he, he should have made the Pro Bowl, at least an alternate. You had Tristan Wirfs. I don't need to say anything. Shaq JC. Mason's an upgrade over Kappa. And Jensen was a Pro Bowl. I've got a list for you. Okay. Here's my Here's list. Aaron Stinney, Nick Leverett, Robert Hainsey. Now, uh, Stinney is a guy that, that this team won a Super Bowl with playing right guard, right? They, advanced, they beat they beat the, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Leverett, I, I think, is, is an exciting young player who can play center. He played center, he played left tackle, and he played guard in the preseason. I think he's a natural guard, stepped in and played well yep. in Indianapolis. Uh, I think he's going to get more experience. They drafted... This guy, Robert Hansey, in the third round, I asked Jason Light, and he said, yes, we're going to put him in the mix as well. With with Ryan Jensen back, uh, you're looking at the backup center, but also a guy that could possibly be the starting left guard in Robert Hansey. So I think they've got enough bodies. Yes. I, I, yes. I do. I, I'm, I'm, it, it, listen, if Jason Light and Todd Bowles, if they want to draft Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green, I'm okay with it. Like I'm I fine. understand it, right? But the thing is, is you don't have to. You've, you don't have to. The, it's the not a need like everyone's making it out to be. It's not a need. I, I think that, that they can get by with these players here, just like they got by with Kappa. Kappa was 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 a, a low-ceiling player. He was just a good, solid starter. And I think that one of those guys, Stinney, Leverett, or Hainsey, can be a good, solid starter. And I think that's that's good enough. I really <laughs> look, do. And you look, know what? I, I don't think – that Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green is going to be a Tristan Wirfs type player as oh. a rookie stepping in at left guard. No, and, and look at the lineup as a constructor right now. You've got one first round pick that's Tristan Wirfs. The yes. rest of them were second round picks, third round picks, fourth round picks. And in, in Jensen's case, there's sorry, there's not even a second round pick. It's third, it's fourth round pick, second round pick, first round pick. And then Jensen was a sixth-round pick. So yeah. you just develop players, and this team is really good at developing offensive linemen. You saw it through the to the development of Marpet and through uh, Smith, through Kappa. I think they're in a good spot, guys. I'm not saying don't draft a guard, but I'm just saying if it becomes if you're looking at at, at Traylon Burks and a Zion Johnson. Give me Traylon Burks all day long, and let me look at guard maybe in the second round with the Dylan Parham, or, or maybe in the third round with a Cole Strange. It's not a need, and I keep seeing it everywhere on Twitter and on Facebook. Everyone's saying, we need a guard. we got to protect Brady. And while yeah. I do think that's the truth, Brady mm -hmm. has made far superior, uh, far lesser athletes than Aaron Stinney, who won a Super Bowl with you in the <laughs> NFC Championship game at the guard spot. And some of these other guys at that guard position. So that was that's my last hot take of the day. You I don't need it. to draft a guard in the first round. You can wait on it. You don't have to draft one at all this year if you don't want to. J JC, Bye. I love it. That's a, that's a great hot take. Appreciate your insight on Todd Bulls. Thank you for everybody out there that, that has, has tuned in today for the Pewter Report podcast. Uh, we're going to have another one tomorrow, folks. Four o'clock on Wednesday, the pre-draft Todd Bowles era talk continues here on the Peter Report podcast. Make sure if you have not that you are going to our YouTube page, Peter Report TV on YouTube and subscribing. We're over 8,000. Thanks to you. We greatly appreciate that. For JC Allen, I'm Scott Reynolds. We'll see you tomorrow. Another edition of the Peter Report podcast. Out. <laughs>